Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love our show, share it with your friends and join us in the EU VC community syndicates at theeuropeanvc.com. This is the first of a four-episode long special on the MENA region here at the European VC. This special series of episodes focuses on everything MENA VC, bridging the gap with its European counterparts. We intend to shed light on the ins and outs of venture in the MENA region and promote collaboration between these two beautiful regions, Europe and MENA. For this special series of episodes, we welcome our dear friend and special co-host, Mustafa Gado. And as our guest, we're happy to welcome Kenza, co-founder and general partner at Outliers Ventures, a seed and early stage Pan-African VC fund based out of Morocco. The fund invests in tech-enabled companies, including fintech and logistics across four main African markets, Morocco, Egypt, Nigeria, and Kenya. If you enjoy our content, do support us by hitting the follow button, giving it a review and following us on LinkedIn. Want to be on top of who the best up and coming emerging VCs in Europe are and maybe even invest with them? Register for our newsletter at theemergingvc.substack.com and be the first to get in the know. Kenza, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm very good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Kenza, I always start the episodes with the same old question and I love to ask it, which is how the hell did you end up in venture? Yeah, great question. Well, maybe I'll start from the beginning and uh, tell you a little bit about the, my background. So I was born and raised in Morocco. I then studied and lived in four different countries uh, and continents before coming back home. So I started my career as a computer science engineer in France, worked in machine learning projects first, and then switched to business. And after doing my master's in business in Singapore, came back to home, came back to Africa and started working in private equity. So that was my first experience in, in the investment side. But my passion was always about technology, innovation, and entrepreneurship. And I really wanted to see what was happening on that side and on the other side of the Atlantic. So this is where you know, I accepted an offer to uh, move to San Francisco and work for an advisory firm that was helping startups from emerging markets to scale to the U.S. So this was back in 2012, and at that time, really there, this was for me a life-changing experience because I could see the startup revolution going on around the world. And, you know, it was right after the Arab Spring also, so things were starting to change in the region. And I could see the first players coming together and starting, you know, the accelerators and funds. And I thought, you know, how about Morocco? How about Africa? And I understood at that time how technology could have an impact on economies and societies. And I could already see, you know, countries that I didn't think of at that time, like Pakistan and Lithuania, already investing heavily in the ecosystems and training their mentors and investors to build because I understand it was the future. Technology was the future. So, you know, I thought this will happen in Africa as well. Just people don't know about it. And founders didn't see that happen in their home 
country and we need to make that change. And I was frustrated because I saw my friends coming back home and having no other choice than joining a large company, you know, that they were one among many and not leveraging their potential and going out there to solve problems with technology. So I said, well, if it doesn't exist, we should just do something about it and we should change it. So this is how I decided to go back home and build one of the first ecosystem builder called Startup Your Life. Basically, we started as a, a network for founders, for tech founders, to connect with each other, help each other, and connect them with mentors and investors, not only from Morocco, but really from the region and then from around the world. And this is how we started inviting you know, people like 500 startups and Wanda Capital and other big players. And this is also how I met uh, with the CEO of who became the CEO of Y Combinator, Michael Siebel, who played a key role in, for me, my journey to start the fund. So actually, after four years doing that and, you know, organizing big events and one-to-one with investors and founders, I understood that there was a bottleneck for startups to grow from the region. The main reason for this was access to capital, a really smart capital that comes with the right advice, the right mindset, and the right access to market. And this was not there yet at that time, real VC funds with this mindset. So, you know, on one hand, I had access to deal flow, and I understood challenges, founders' challenges, and I saw the opportunities, not only in Morocco, but really across Africa. And then on the other side, I had access to investors, and I decided to bring that together and started the fund. So really, I went through that as an entrepreneur solving a problem of access to capital and wanting to make a change. I think I'm a change maker and I love to make things happen and see and, you know, go beyond what people think is possible maybe and change the status quo. This is the thinking. So this is how we started Outliers Ventures as an Africa-focused fund to back companies that are using technology to transform traditional industries with a focus on three main verticals, So fintech, logistics, supply chain, and health, and four target markets. So Morocco, Egypt, Nigeria, and Kenya. And those four target markets are really the tech hubs of the continent that attract 85%. I mean, especially I'm speaking about Egypt, Nigeria, Kenya, and South Africa, where we don't invest for now with this first one. But those three are part of the four big tech hubs that attract 85% of total VC investment in Africa so far. So, you know, when we started 2017, we started touring Africa and sourcing deals and we started investing really in 2018. But then, you know, speaking about a number that is $560 million invested in VC in Africa in 2016, 560 million. Four years later, it's $5.2 billion, the total amount of VC investment in Africa in 2021. So this is almost a 10x growth in just four years. So this shows the the attraction and the interest for the continent. Before we uh, move on with the rest of the scripted interview, Kenzo, it would be interesting to have you just expand a bit there on outliers. You know, you said this first fund. Okay, so what is the status of development of of outliers? Give us the quick kind of rundown so our audience knows, okay, this is the kind of animal we're talking about when we're talking about outliers. So yeah, I can tell you a bit more about Outliers Ventures. So we invest early, we invest in seed as a sweet spot. We sometimes do pre-seed and pre-series A as well. We invest in, on across those four markets that I mentioned, so Morocco, Egypt, Nigeria, and Kenya. And we've done 15 deals so far, especially in those three verticals of so fintech, logistics, supply chain, and health. 
So we're investors in uh, companies like Sokowatch, renamed Wasoko, out of Kenya, that is, that you know, expanded in East Africa and now expanding in Francophone Africa. We're also investors, early investors in Maxa, one of the rising stars in Egypt that is also expanding to Morocco and acquired one of other portfolio companies with Sukap. And then we're investors in Bamboo, in Nigeria, and in a, a number of other companies across those markets. Well, I guess we're meeting with more people who are MaxUp friends, which is good. <laughs> a shout out to MaxUp people. I guess it's safe to assume that we witnessed a tremendous development of the startups and venture capital ecosystem uh, in the MENA region. Everyone can see the, the insights and the numbers shared every year and even every quarter, how big the market is growing. So let's start with the bright side here. Why do you think would European and international LBs be interested in VC funds focusing on MENA and Africa or Africa? And where do you think exactly are the opportunities in the region here? Yeah, so I'm going to speak about Africa as this is the market that we target. But, you know, North Africa is part of it. And the GCC also is uh, also an amazing market to invest in VC. But as far as Africa is concerned, we see Africa as the next frontier for VC investment. And we really for three main reasons. So first one is that Africa is the fastest growing population and the youngest around the world. 70% of the population is below 35. So this is like a huge market and an upcoming market that is growing faster than any other one. The second element is that Africa has the, the fastest growing economies. So in terms of GDP growth, it is over Asia and Latin. So it has still a lot of potential creating a consumer market that needs products and services to be better served with those products and services. The third factor is really the penetration of mobile and internet. So the technology revolution is creating those opportunities at the intersection of those three elements. So with the younger, fastest growing population, growing economies, and the technology expansion, this creates the, the more fertile place to transform economies and industries using technology. So this is exactly the thesis that we're about. And we see that because... Those economies are fragmented. So, you know, in an industry, you will have multiple players across the supply chain, the value chain, which creates friction and a uh, high cost to serve, while technology can really aggregate those different players and uh, makes it more efficient and less costly and more scalable to serve the end customer. So this creates huge opportunities to transform an industry like that. And Players like Maxav or Sokowatch in the FMCG space, this is exactly what they are doing, using technology, aggregating a very fragmented industry. The other part is that those economies are very informal and a lot of processes are still done manually via Excel spreadsheets or like phone, WhatsApp. And so this, is, this creates huge opportunities to digitization and to use technology to, again, automate processes and make them more efficient and decrease costs. The third element of our thesis is really the fact that a big part of the population is still unbanked or uh, non-banked. And those, so this part of the population is excluded from the system. And there is a huge opportunity for inclusion. And this is how fintech comes into play. And this is why fintech is actually the number one sector in Africa that has act attracted actually 60% of total investment for of VC investment in Africa last year in 2021. I love the way you put it, 
it's very easy to understand, very structured, you know, a lot of young people, growing population, growing economy or an upwards trend of, of growth in the economy, high penetration of mobile, a lot of opportunities for improvement to do fragmentation. But the other side of that is, okay, so what is needed to then be able to seize that opportunity? Another way to ask that, what is the VC profile, you know, that any LP should be looking for? What is your take on that question? <laughs> well, I think there are many ways to tackle the problem or the opportunity. I think there is still room for generous VCs like us, driven by tests of digitization and using technology to transform traditional economies. We still have like a very strong B2B slash B2B2C angle because we think that B2C in Africa is still tough. Customer acquisition, purchasing power, etc. So we see uh, distribution channels across businesses or SMEs, and SMEs makes the biggest part of the economy. Uh, 80% of the economy is really SME based. But there are also opportunities for more focused fund or like more um, specialized funds, like fintech funds. For example, in Africa, yeah. it makes a lot of sense. So there is no one answer, but I think the opportunity is there as long as the thesis is strong enough. And also, we believe in multi-markets because this is also some particularity of Africa. Africa is a fragmented continent with multiple countries. And then there are very few single markets that are big enough as the big tech hubs. that are. So, so beyond the population, I'm talking about those tech hubs that have mature tech ecosystem and enough capital that flows and tech talents to be able to build those sort of that can scale and grow. And among the tech hubs today, Egypt and Nigeria are the largest markets and single market. That's why it's interesting. So for Nigeria, is 200 million population and Egypt is 100 million plus population. So this makes it a great place to start a business and grow it and then scale it across the region. I'm just saying here that our thesis is built on multi-market because it's very tough still in Africa to have one single market fund and to be able to tap into the best opportunities, you have to invest in more than just one market. So those are interesting, important elements that I would mention. And just to show this interest in VC in Africa, maybe it will be interesting to understand the numbers and the growth of VC investment. Well, I wanted to talk about also some particular markets in MENA. And for instance, here we're talking about Morocco, which is one of the fastest growing markets in the startup ecosystem. We can see in the past couple of years, you know, startups that is growing massively, if we could say, and also the number of VC investment getting into the market is growing notably. So why do you think that this development happened or where, where it came from? And also the startups to grow in Morocco, what are the challenges there and how you can overcome it? I mean, considering that this is one of the four markets that you're focusing on. Great question. And maybe to put perspective, uh, as I mentioned before, 85% of the total VC investment is going to four markets. So uh, Nigeria, number one, and then South Africa, Egypt and Kenya. And Egypt has a tremendous growth of over the past few years and, you know, joined the top three very quickly. Those markets takes a big chunk of the, the investment, but there is a region that is growing and is an untapped uh, and is very interesting today is Francophone Africa and Morocco is part of it. So this is the region that we see emerging and attracting more investment and more opportunities. 
And I think there is more capital available right now in, in this region. More investors are looking at it. Uh, it's both from local investors, local VC funds investing at early stage, and then also African and regional investors coming in. So to focus on Morocco, especially, Morocco has been growing in terms of VC investment. So three years ago, we were at 3 million, and then 7 million, then 11 million, and last year, 43 million. It's still small compared to the rest, uh, you know, to Egypt or other big markets, but it's a very interesting growth. And I believe it's going to still grow. And this is where the next opportunities will be. And this is for many reasons. First, as I mentioned, local investors coming in and real interest from the local market to put in money early to see those companies and to create this deal flow. I think this is very important. So a few players have done a great job, like the Santos founders and now UM6P Ventures and others are investing early and nurturing this deal flow or the, those opportunities for the VC funds that are coming next. The second thing is that, you know, it's just awareness and it's just the maturity of the ecosystem where the first founders started companies a few years before and those are serial founders or like second time or third time founders that, that learn from their experiences are now building uh, companies. And then I will say also the tech talents that is being trained by other larger tech companies like Jumia or Karim or others that are now have more experience to go and build companies or join companies like CTOs and others. Those are uh, factors that are helping the ecosystem grow. I would say the challenges still remains in some key sectors that are still highly regulated. Fintech, as you know, is the number one industry in Africa. However, there is a paradox because in Morocco, we have almost, I mean, we have only a few fintechs that are trying their way, but the regulation is still limiting it and it's still not enabling fintech innovation enough. And the paradox is very interesting because Morocco has one of the, the strongest banking system. The, so it's number two or after South Africa. And we have five or six very strong banks that are present across Francophone Africa and even across Africa. But this also creates challenges for innovation because it's we have a concentrated market. And in terms of regulation, the regulatory framework is very different from Francophone and Anglophone markets, which is interesting as well. So in Anglophone markets, I've seen that in Kenya, I've seen that in Nigeria and other places. You can go and start a business and try it out without a license, having a letter from the central bank saying there is no regulation around that, but we don't ask you to stop. So they can go and try and test. But in Morocco, is the, and maybe in Francophone, the whole Francophone is different. It's the contrary. As long as you mm-hmm. don't have a, reg- a license, you cannot open yes. it. Uh, and this is really uh, blocking innovation. And this is a huge limitation for fintech innovation. So typically in Egypt, you will have different numbers of micro licenses that will be available for founders with different level of complexity, you know, that will fragment the way they get the full license. In Morocco, there is basically two licenses. One is the banking license that no one can get, like almost. And then the second one is the payment establishment license. And this is for mobile payment. That is something that have been released in a, a few years ago. But again, the players that have been able to get it are many banks and telcos. The barrier to entry for startups are still very high. So this is something that the regulator is currently working on and aware of. 
So there if is I may a... interrupt you here, Kinza, just a little follow-on on this topic. Do you think there is a role the VCs should uh, contribute to by connecting with central banks and explaining to them how this works and how we can have a sandbox to try things. Do you think this is one of those that good VCs should play? Yes, of course. So there is a group, a working group, and there are different authorities, you know, in conversation with the central bank and pushing. And the central bank as well has done initiatives, you know, has reached out to a number of players to really understand better what works and what's not working and how can they make things better. So there is a process at the moment. I believe it's going to take time. And it's just also about the nature of the market. As I was saying, you know, we have those five strong banks in Morocco. In Kenya, for example, there are 44 banks. So it's very fragmented market, which enable innovation. Here, the concentration makes it a bit difficult. But banks are willing to work with startups and are willing to open up the APIs. It's just about taking time and also educating both sides, the entrepreneur and the corporate, to learn how to work together and also the regulator to open up slowly but surely to enable fintech innovation in the in the country. I'm thinking of this Portuguese expression and I was here trying to understand how the hell I'm going to translate this, but it roughly would be something around the lines of there is no beauty without a catch, right? So you're talking about Kenya, how it's fragmented and how that actually is, you know, kind of good for fostering innovation. But I guess there is a catch exactly. to it, and I'd love to hear that. Exactly. So that's why I was saying it's a paradox, because we have the strongest banking system in Morocco. But that's also a reason why innovation in the sector is tough. Yeah, yeah. Can you, uh, just to inform me here, uh, I'd love that I'm learning so much with these uh, MENA specials, because I am quite ignorant about the region, to be very honest, which is what is, at least from your perspective and outlier's perspective, the model specifically in fintech is it that you're trying to find the regional champions is it that you're trying to incubate world class successes and then take them out of the region through the us through europe what is it exactly that you guys believe is the model there i think there are so much challenges to solve in africa so i think there is a chance for local players that are regional pan african uh, that's yeah. specific problems it could be in terms of payment, it could be in terms of KYC, it could be in credit or banking infrastructure is something that is very interesting. And there's so much thing to do. So there are two different types of success or outliers that we're looking for. It could be like local players solving a local problem that can scale across the continent. But there are also, and we've invested recently actually in a Moroccan founder solving a global problem a global fintech problem that applies both for Africa, but also internationally. So, And those are also very interesting companies where when you have founders that have expertise in the domain and have been exposed to different markets, can solve with tech talent based in Africa, but targeting international markets. I guess that is a profile that you do see, but to a lesser extent, I, I would imagine, no? Exactly. So it will be more exceptional, yes. Yeah. Very cool. Would that same rationale that you just expanded on apply to the other two sectors that you guys are looking at, or is it slightly different? So both supply chain logistics and health. It could be. So there are some very local problems that are solved by founders in their local market and scaling regionally and then continentally. But there are also challenge, like maybe those more scalable type of businesses like SaaS platforms that, you know, I'm thinking about one we also invested in 
of, started by founders in Morocco, but scaling in the GCC in the region and beyond, you know, in Europe, in Asia, and they're building a SaaS platform to streamline 3PL's operations and the whole logistics supply chain. And this company is called Fritterium. You're actually working with two markets in the MENA region, which is the region that we're trying to shed light on. There were a couple of different point of views about the natural expansions for startups coming from North Africa and, and particularly from Egypt, for instance. Should they expand normally to the east and go to the GCC markets, go to Saudi market, UAE market, where you know they have better infrastructure, more purchasing power? Or should they go more to the south, particularly in East Africa, to markets like Kenya, or even beyond to Pakistan and, and markets that have similar socioeconomic situation? But also, I'm, I'm interested to see your perspective on that. And could we consider the Eastern European market as also an opportunity for startups coming from North Africa, considering that you know they also have some similarities when it comes to socioeconomics? So I think it really depends on the nature of the problem that they are solving and the markets that they are going for. So in Egypt, for example, when they are solving uh, problems uh, in, let's say, we'll take again the example of FMCG supply chain. This is something that it is typical to very fragmented industries and emerging markets yeah. where you have pops and mom shops and small retailers and where 80% of the FMCG products are sold via those small informal network of retailers. So this is typically a problem that you will see in similar markets like in Morocco, in Nigeria, in Kenya. So they will scale into those markets where the market opportunity is for them and where the value prop makes sense. The UAE market will be less interesting for them in this sense. But Pakistan could also be very interesting, and they are big players solving this problem in Pakistan. So it really depends on the market dynamic and the problem that they are solving with the, the product. Other examples you know, of companies from Egypt, I'm thinking about one that is solving a problem in the garment textile supply chain, giving access to real-time data on the factory and the, on the workers. So this opportunity you know, is very interesting in markets where there is a big garment industry, is outsourced from big players around the world. This is interesting for North Africa, and they've already started scanning in Morocco. But they could also consider Turkey, of course, and other regional Eastern Europe countries. So it really depends on the nature of the problem that they are solving, uh, I'll say. So, Kenza, we are recording this into a podcast called The European VC. It's a special series called The Mina VC, obviously. But uh, I have to ask, obviously, you from a professional perspective as an individual professional, but also outliers, what is your relation to Europe? What type of relationships do you have here? Do you have co-investors? Is it something that you help your startups with when they want to expand to Europe? Is it something that is not really super core? I'd love to understand. Well, I think there is more interest from European investors into Africa and into Africa VC in the recent years with the boom of this ecosystem. So we started to see more funds coming together and starting, you know, dedicated funds for Africa or investing, including in their investment scope, Africa as a region. So we definitely see those investors coming in and we are very happy to co-invest with them or open up investment opportunities for them in all portfolio companies in the following rounds. This is also a great asset for all founders to be able to have different types of investors and access some strategic markets for the expansion 
and get ready for the exit. So yeah. uh, we love that. Yeah. What we've seen in Europe as Europe matures is, is, I would argue, two things. is We've seen these bigger kind of more established players starting to kind of deploying tickets into earlier, more specialized VC funds to gain that access, right? And we've also seen, you know, US-based capital either moving and creating new headquarters here in Europe or doing exactly the same kind of, you know, pulling in tickets in a bunch of, of VC funds. Is that something we are already seeing in Africa specifically? Do you think it's still too early? I, w- I would love to learn it. Yes, definitely. So this is a strategy to get access. So seen funds, larger funds, larger VCs who are interested in Africa, investing small checks into local VC funds, VC players, and co-investing alongside or having full-on rights. This is something very typical and I think very smart to do when exploring a market. I have one final question, which is health. Because when fintech, supply chain, logistics, I'm quite used to seeing investors do that together. Health, less so. (laughs) So I think the first big question is, what is health for you guys? Because there is a night and day difference in saying it's drug development or it's digital health. It's completely different thing. Yeah. I agree. No, it's different. It's two different things. So for us, we would focus more on transforming the access to health and to medication and digitizing this access. So, you know, public infrastructure is still very, I mean, not providing enough quality healthcare for the population and also access to healthcare in, for the rural, you know, population is still very tough. So there are many different things to do and companies solving those kind of problems, you know, transforming the supply chain again. We invested, for example, in a company doing that in Egypt called Pharmacy Marts. That is, you know, enabling pharmacies to order via multiple suppliers, via their platform and just aggregating everything and delivering fast and providing access to credits for those pharmacies to buy more and serve their customers. Yeah, yeah. It is time for our quick fire round, Kenza. The quick fire round is when we end the episode with a couple of quick answer questions, 30 to 60 seconds each. Are you ready? I am. From your perspective, what are the biggest differences in the venture capital scene between MENA and Europe? So I'll say three things. First one is the market fragmentation. Well, in terms of countries, which is maybe uh, you know similar to Europe, but in terms of industry fragmentation. So it's really about, you know, those different providers and suppliers all together in the supply chain that is very still manual and formal. So I'll say this is the number one big difference. And also for founders, speaking about markets, the depth of the markets, apart from a few, like a few big ones, Egypt and Nigeria, they need to scale into different markets quickly and fast to be able to build a sizable business. So I'd say this is the number one. The number two is really about the business models. So in Africa, in this time, we still need to build the infrastructure layers for the consumer market and the consumer industry. So it means that we need payment, we need logistics, and we need you know those kind of pillars in order to build digital businesses to serve customers. B2C businesses are there yet, are there, but they have more difficulties. Uh, Growing, I believe, in terms of also the unit economics, given the purchasing power and the size of this 
market that is educated enough and have enough purchasing power to buy those products digitally. So we're getting there. There is a big opportunity coming in the next five to 10 years, definitely. But today, I believe the big part of the opportunity lies in B2B and B2B2C, which is something very different maybe from Europe, where the B2C market is major. The third one is access to capital for founders that I think is still missing in the late stage. What are your top tips for emerging VCs who are fundraising currently? Yeah, so I'll say first, build your track record. Start investing as much as possible as angel investors and get there, get into the industry. Build your reputation, you know, provide value to founders so that they speak highly of you and they want you in their rounds. And then build relationship in the same time with LPs and understand your market really well to develop a unique thesis and proposition that will make your fund different. Last but not least, what can we expect from Kinza and Outliers Ventures in the near future? Yeah, so we are committed to this continent and we are committed to early stage, to Africa, to VC investment, and we see huge opportunities for the next coming years. Despite the downturn that is coming, I believe there are huge opportunities that will be created. And Africa, you know, founders are solving real problems. So despite the downturn, they will still be those problems being solved and great founders will be able to do well. So we are there and we'll keep investing and we're excited for what's coming next. Kenza, thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure to have you here at the European VC and hopefully we'll be in touch and hear from you and outliers soon. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Kenza. Thank you for listening to this episode of the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love our show, share it with your friends and join us in the EU VC community syndicates at theeuropeanvc.com. Want to be on top of who the best up and coming emerging VCs in Europe are and maybe even invest with them? Register for our newsletter at theemergingvc.substack.com and be the first to get in the know.